0: Welcome listeners, this is episode 5 of the Fancy Lab Code Guild. I'm Ali. And I'm your father. <laughs> Jokes, I'm Guy. Today, our special guest is Dr. Anthony Casaras. But before we get started, I do want to mention that the episode is sponsored by SciFind, the scientific collaboration network. SciFind is a platform where scientists can share empirical information like methods, protocols, or expertise. Scientists that join SciFind can connect with their peers to troubleshoot in their broad and narrow disciplines and can grow their reputation in more ways than just papers.
1: Dr. Casares is a California native, a stellar organic chemist, and sought-after drug designer. He started off at SFSU, did his master's in chemistry at the University of Pittsburgh, and then joined Gilead, working for two years on HCV, that's hepatitis C virus therapy, He returned to graduate school at Princeton researching organocatalysis in the laboratory of Dr. David McMillan, the 2021 Chemistry Nobel Laureate. They won the Nobel Prize for their development of a precise new tool for molecular construction, organocatalysis. This had a massive impact on pharmaceutical research and has made chemistry greener throughout the ecosystem. He then came back to the Bay to work on antibiotics at Novartis in Emeryville, where he was also involved in search and evaluation and due diligence for the Novartis Venture Fund. In 2019, Anthony joined Gossamer Bio to lead an immuno-oncology program, where he holds the current title of Associate Director. is also an industry advisor for CLSI and works with a nonprofit called Health Technology Forum. Let's give a warm welcome to Dr. Casares. Thank you. Appreciate that. <laughs> Howdy. <laughs> Um, the first thing I actually wanted to ask before we, you know, before we even really get started is what's organocatalysis? That's the fr- I have no clue what it is.
2: <laughs> um, <laughs> so organocatalysis is using a small molecule um, that does not uh, possess a metal center. So mm-hmm. it's all made out of oxygen, carbon, nitrogen, hydrogen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you apply this to a, a substrate. And a particular transformation happens. So, a lot of catalysis is based on um, transition metals, right? Mm-hmm. So, the metals are able to undergo redox processes. Um, and, you know, some of the criticism is they can be, these metals can be difficult to mm-hmm. ultimately remove from the products. So, in pharmaceutical development, right? Um, especially, say, in process chemistry, you have to show that at the end, your, your API, when you get to the final step, uh, has to be, you know, so many parts per million, um, in possession of these transition metals right before you put something into Mm -hmm. a human.
1: Mm. So it has to have the metal or not, not have the, ideally
2: you don't want to have any metal.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I see
2: you have to show that if it, if it does possess some Some metal contaminant that it has to be at very very low levels, Mm -hmm, and the
0: mm -hmm. idea behind that is that you just don't you you just don't want anything to react with the body because metal can actually correct the the chance of reacting with your body is higher. Okay,
2: and some of these metals that are used in Mm -hmm. traditional catalysis, they're they they are not naturally occurring Mm. in your body.
0: Oh, I see, got it, got it. But when
1: so, for example, like we have some protein, like heme protein, for example, has iron. Correct. What would that? What does that actually allow it to do? And in comparison with this?
2: Well, iron, the heme and iron just binds oxygen, right? Okay. okay. So it doesn't actually, it's not responsible for um, the catalysis of a transformation. Mm -hmm. It just, it binds oxygen and
1: transports it
0: around the body.
1: Oh yeah, Mm -hmm. because we need that, right?
0: (laughs) (laughs) So now that we got this out of the way, let's get started with the the real stuff. So I want to first ask you, how's your heart?
2: How is my heart? Yes. <laughs> as far as I know, okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's,
0: I like that question because it's kind of like interesting. It's like, it's another way of saying how I re, how you really are, honestly. But I like your answer. The, so, the scientific
1: answer is um, I don't know. Like, I guess <laughs> I should. It's pumping uh, blood, <laughs> lower my cholesterol or something. I don't know. <laughs>
2: Health wise, I don't seem to have any concerns. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, how.
2: Sometimes the heart can weigh heavy,
1: though, if you're talking from. <laughs>
0: It could be full of love also. You never know. <laughs> We're, We're enlarged. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's get started with like something heavy. I kind of want to get with how would Anthony define failure?
2: Well, I mean, failure happens. Failure is a part of science, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so failure happens probably, especially in research and graduate school, right? Mm-hmm. I'd say 90% of the stuff you do is failure. Um, and so you just have to, you have to accept that as part of the process. Mm-hmm. Um, is, you know, when you're, when you're developing these methods or when you're researching a, a particular, um, topic, right. Mm. Um, do you mean personal failure?
0: <laughs> we can, you can kind of link it to your, per, like how would, like, for example, do you even believe in failure? Some people are like, I don't even believe in it. It's a stepping yeah. stone. Yeah. And I then you know. can link it to science if you want.
2: Yeah. I. I it matters how you define it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so if you have certain goals mm-hmm. um, that you didn't reach, uh, you, that can be defined as failure, right? Yeah. Um, if there is a project that you're working on and ultimately uh, you determine that that it's not able, to, you're not able to um, achieve the desired result, that mm-hmm. can be considered failure, right?
0: Mm. And how would you like, what's your tactics when you reach that stage that you just defined? Like, or you feel like everything is falling apart. Like, what, how, how would you deal with that?
2: Well, just to remind myself that, uh, that failure is, is part of science, is part of the process. Right. Mm. And so, um, to, and, and really, you will live another day right yeah (laughs) um it can be kind of you know emotionally when you're going through it Mm -hmm. uh it can be difficult yeah um but uh it is it it hopefully you learn from it Mm -hmm. right there's something that you can learn yeah um and realize that it is part of the past right Mm. it is not it is not going to um dictate your future yeah likely
0: and on that note would you like would do you have like a certain stage of your scientific career that you felt like it was happening more than the other, and and would you have a reason for that? That failure was happening yeah. more. Yeah, like you felt like there were, it's it's not working more than that stage of my life. Like maybe your PhD versus your career in science.
2: Yeah, I, I would say definitely during, throughout the PhD process, <laughs> right? We're going through it right now. Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, you have some ideas, and um, likely you know you really want them to work, mm-hmm. <laughs> and they don't always or. Or even you know um a particular transformation right yeah. you you're say you're doing a natural product synthesis mm-hmm. um which involves many steps, and these many steps ultimately have to work if you're going to produce you know the the final molecule right the mm-hmm. final result yeah um and uh, oftentimes they do not in
1: <laughs> in your case in your work um is would you say that chemistry is kind of a a more faster experimental timeline, or like obviously in biology, sometimes you have, let's say, the model organism you're working with is like a cow, <laughs> so you basically <laughs> have to wait till it's grown or something.
2: A hundred percent. So I think you know it's kind of a, a running joke. I think a lot of, mm. especially a lot of organic organic chemists, uh, you know, don't have a lot of patience, and <laughs> and you you it, you are able to obtain the result of the experiment you set up pretty quickly right Mm -hmm. versus in biology you can cultivate cells and Mm -hmm. you know you can in order to get to a point where you're going to do the experiment you want it might take several months Mm -hmm. right or even a month yeah you know something happens with your with the the quality of the cells themselves right Mm -hmm. they could they could become contaminated and then you have to start over again right usually uh, in organic chemistry, uh, you'll know within a day or two if your idea or if mm. your your reaction is not going to work. Mm. And so that cycle time is much faster, mm. right? Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> when did you feel like you were a scientist?
2: Uh, I would say probably when I started doing research.
0: <laughs> Which was, yeah. was it?
2: in un- undergrad. In,
0: oh, in undergrad. Wow, right. I love that. So you felt like you were a scientist
2: when I was in yeah, the laboratory, right? And yeah, exactly. I got in <laughs> cuz you you're, you're yeah, just, you know, yeah. when you're taking classes mm-hmm. and you're doing laboratory classes, yeah. right? You're you're learning and you there are there's relevance to Mm -hmm. what you're doing yeah um but you're not uh necessary it it also sort of scripted right yeah it's not some an idea that you're trying out that you had that you want to test or um you know research you're not you're not doing research i said i feel like i became or i felt like a scientist when i started doing research
0: Mm. it's i love that you said that because i think again being in research myself a lot of people are scared to call themselves scientists because it's a heavy some people think it's a heavy title if i'm a scientist i'm einstein no i'm not so i love that you had that confidence being in undergrad and because that's science i agree with you i think as long as you're in lab producing new data and contributing to science you are a scientist so some people they're up to the end of their PhD program and still don't want to call themselves scientists.
2: Well, it can be heavy for people, right? Um, mm-hmm. they're depending on um your your social circle, you know, the background of your family. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people look to you, uh, for any and all things science, right? Mm-hmm. They look to yeah. you for answers, yeah. and so, um, I guess that can that can be a lo- that can weigh heavy on people to have that, that responsibility, right? Yeah.
0: So they'd rather be like, no, I don't want to, uh, like, declare it yet. I don't have that like confidence, or is it just what it comes with? You're saying, yeah. I mean,
2: it can be right. Uh, mm-hmm. If you, if you know, in your social circle, if you don't run with a lot of other scientists, if yeah. you know, there's not science background in your family, right? Mm-hmm. And so you are essentially this oracle, right? You get <laughs> you get all yeah. the questions related yeah, yeah. to science, right? And it can be maybe a little. Um, a little burdensome
1: mm-hmm. what if you weren't a scientist what would you do what would you be doing like I think carpentry <laughs> I don't know random
2: <laughs> I think something that just involved a problem that mm-hmm. uh, that needed to be solved right something that was challenging some sort of you know uh,
0: some sort of issue
2: mm-hmm. um <laughs> I would pro- I don't know. Maybe maybe fine. I can see
0: you being an engineer actually. Yeah. You, you have that engineering personality.
2: are, are engineers scientists? I mean, oh, that's, a, that's
1: a... <laughs> Let's not get into that. That's I think if right you're if you're if you're researching then then yes, but I yeah. think on a like a and we were talking about this like yeah. I think a couple of weeks ago it's like about th- architects. Yeah, about architects. I think if you're yeah. just pre- like you're just working on, you know, specs I don't know. I think the main thing about science is that it's a process of inquiry. If you're using Mm -hmm. the scientific method, you're a scientist. And if you're not, then... But then one can argue about the scientific method. Like I told you about architects. Like
0: there's people that don't think they're... Like they have PhDs, but do you consider them scientists? That's, That's kind of an interesting topic because they're not... They're not in
1: lab. I think if you're exploring yeah. something, like an artist could be a scientist. Like for example, let's say you're working with different colors and paints and experimenting with you know different things to make that paint. I mean, yeah. maybe not by our definition, but technically that's what you're doing. You're mm. experimenting. So.
2: Yeah, I think most people would um, probably argue that there has to be some sort of documentation, as you mm-hmm. mentioned the scientific mm-hmm. method, right? Yeah. Um, if you're if you're experimenting, that at least there is, you know, your um, design, build, test mm-hmm. uh, um, cycle, right? It yeah, has, yeah. to, has to involve that sort of process.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I got this from Guy. So if, if it's wrong, haunt Guy, not me. There's 10 million scientists out there, give or take. That's the, the world um, number. The, the, the world number. And then what differentiates, in your eyes, a bad scientist from a good one? Would they agree that they're scientists? Oh, let's assume that they did oh my god about that? <laughs> so what what like it's kind of the question is evolving what what makes a good versus
1: bad scientist in your eyes and what makes a good one from a great one you
2: mm-hmm. know well, the obvious answer is um somebody who uh
0: engages in fraud <laughs> i would say Ooh, that, that is like, a bad yeah, scientist yeah. right um let's talk about the ethical ones because that's kind of how like we can improve when we cuz you're in, you're there you're working with it so i think there's always room for improvement that's kind of how we want to get out of from that question
2: yeah i mean um to i think what makes a good scientist mm-hmm. is produces repeatable results mm-hmm. right yeah um it's controversial when you know a paper comes out and nobody can repeat the results mm-hmm. um so it's a good scientist is somebody that the 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 research they're engaged in ultimately the conclusions they make can be verified by anybody that is skilled in the art. Mm, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um and then those who are you know I would say those that are great scientists not only do that um but try to solve a major problem or going after a major problem. Mm-hmm. Um and they are able to um uh provide I think some insight to uh the world right the community
0: mm, mm, mm. nice and yeah. what what about a great one to yeah that?
2: those that are going after um I think the biggest challenges are the biggest problems, and you know that is that is a matter of opinion as well, yeah. right I mean, if that's, you're
1: pushing yeah. the boundary, yeah, that's kind of I think yeah, when you're starting to think outside of the box, that's mm-hmm. when that I think that's a great scientist.
0: So Anthony, what scares you the most when starting a new project in science? Failure. <laughs> that makes sense, of course. Give us one experience or story that you'll never forget that taught you something about starting, when starting a new project.
2: Yeah, it's you. kind of related, right? Um, it's It was more of a professional advice. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was finishing up um, my, uh, my PhD and so I was out looking for mm-hmm. jobs and uh, I got, the offer from Novartis, but it wasn't. It was a phone call mm-hmm. uh, from the head of chemistry, and he said, "I have good news," and I was really, really excited. Uh, it was. I remember this. It was on a Friday, mm-hmm. and I was. Uh, I had scheduled. I had an interview on Monday for mm-hmm. another uh, another company. Uh, this, it was on the East Coast, and mm-hmm. the offer that I got was in the Bay Area. I wanted to come back there, right? I was very excited. It was kind of like, you know, my, my dream situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said, uh, you know, I was I was about to cancel the interview that I had um, on Monday, and uh, I'll never forget this. He said, let me give you some professional advice <laughs> until you have something. I, we will send you this offer, but until you have something in writing, do not think it is guaranteed. Mm. So he encouraged me to go and and oh, wow. and do the the interview that I had already scheduled.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. As
2: a as a as a just in case. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As a backup Always have plan, a plan man. B. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I guess the you know, the the take home lesson is unless it's in writing, yeah. don't assume that it, it's it's, it's real.
0: Yeah, yeah when is doctor anthony satisfied we're not talking about the personal anthony
2: yeah when i when you have a when you achieve a a result that um is ultimately uh, gives you um it's it's a problem that you've been working on, right? Mm -hmm. And you've either, I wouldn't say you've solved the problem, but when you've achieved a result um, that advances um, the project significantly Mm -hmm. that you're working on.
0: That gives you that satisfaction that I'm like, yes. Yes. Nice, nice, that's a great answer. So if you could take one scientific approach to dating or finding love, what would you do? And what tactic would you use?
1: Apply the scientific. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so all your
0: experience with what
1: you've done in science
2: to, to finding pick... love. Yeah, to finding love. Um, I think in order to find something, you need to know what you're looking for, right? Mm. And so you have to define, uh, what it is that you're looking for. Mm. Uh, because love, um, you know, what what do you want out of this? Out of this love? Out of this experience? Right? Are you mm-hmm. looking for somebody for the rest of your life? Uh, you know what is? I I would assume that's that's what you're referring to, yeah, right? Yeah, you're yeah. you're sort of one and only, yeah, your life yeah, partner, yeah, right? The life partner. Yeah, let's call him that. And I so like I think that. uh you need to define what it is that would what what would satisfy that requirement, right? Mm. Um, and so, so having it having call
0: a it, can we call it literature review? <laughs> <laughs> or, so, or more of like the goals of the project?
2: I would say having. Um, a list of uh, of desired qualities, mm-hmm. but also non-starters, right? I see. And so if you meet an individual and there's something that is an absolute, um, you know, deal non-starter, deal breaker, yeah. um, then it's probably not worth letting yourself... Mm-hmm. Uh, pers- go down this path and and pursue this individual mm. because uh, it's just going to lead to <laughs> it's going to lead to you maybe compromising yeah. something that's important to you right
0: mm-hmm. so setting that list of like what you're looking for would say that yes tactic okay got it and okay. as far as Noted. you know as Noted. far as
2: going Noted. out and meeting people i think there's um there's a lot of different yeah. ways that that can be achieved mm-hmm. right um yeah. especially with a lot of the online I'm taking notes, <laughs> by the way.
3: <laughs>
2: With a lot of online dating, and I mean, I think COVID redefined um, a lot of interactions yeah, and and absolutely. and the way that um, the the way those interactions happen, right? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah. All right, so i i to I want to move to uh, your PhD life now. So Princeton, Princeton, it's a statement right there. So talk us about it. What what made you go there? It's in the East Coast. Uh, sorry, West Coast and you no, Princeton East is East. Princeton. New Jersey. Yeah. So that's where
1: Einstein walked around. Have you walked on the yes. have you like? Oh yeah. my god, this is where he I'm i t- I'm I'm motioning with my hands that I'm like touching the ground. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, there's a house um, that he lived in that was in Princeton, wow. right? That you can go visit.
0: Is it like a, they turned it into a museum or I believe so. Mm-hmm. I mean it
2: went through um uh, a couple different owners yeah um but they wanted to preserve it obviously it's you know a historical mm. icon what made um, you
0: decide to go there the uh my my pi i really oh, wow.
2: i really wanted to work for this individual i think that's um, a
0: beautiful answer when you pick your 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 lab based of your pi not the school i think that's better Uh, And again, that's my humble opinion, somebody that is in research, because some people, and we talked about it with our our last guest, like how people follow names and the school versus the actual research you're working on. So I love that you, I agree with you. I thought he was doing the absolute
2: best um, uh, organic chemistry at the time. And good
1: call, because he did win a Nobel Prize (laughs) for it. (laughs) Seems to be some accuracy. (laughs) How was
0: the process to get into Princeton?
1: somebody
0: Um, listening to you right now and his dream is to be there uh typical
2: uh process applying to grad school right Mm -hmm. you got to take your your GREs and then subject tests right you submit all of your you know your cover letter and, and all of your credentials um but what I thought I think was an advantage is this PI uh, was also a consultant at mm-hmm. Gilead and so I had established some rapport and and a bit of a relationship with him yeah uh, prior to applying and mm-hmm. I you know I said I want to work for you yeah. I'm going to apply mm-hmm. um and so he was aware of this right yeah. I wasn't um I wasn't random yeah mm. this just With that me, said you know. um make sure that there's at least another professor that you (laughs) that you can work with because um you know the there might be certain quotas uh for accepting graduate students Mm -hmm. um and yes a plan b just in case because if you get into the school and then you don't get into the group you want Mm -hmm. um that can be i think pretty difficult for people and if there's not an another alternative of somebody else you'd want to work for Mm -hmm. um then you're gonna find yourself in a difficult position
1: plan yeah. for the worst and hope for the best mm-hmm. yes. <laughs> so correct was, and yeah.
2: that that probably that's that's uh a motto i like to apply yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in in science right In yeah. in what you're doing and your the the program that you're researching the... mm-hmm.
0: and going moving from like uh california San Francisco specifically, because that's where you did your undergrad, correct? Correct. So, how was that change for you? Did you see a big
1: difference, or was it very similar? That's a difference between like a yeah. West Coast and East Coast um, from that academic perspective.
2: Um, I would say culturally, there's a pretty big difference, um, but it's hard to. It's hard because I think the academic experience is very different in undergrad than it Mm -hmm. is in graduate school Mm -hmm. so to um to compare those is a little is a little unfair because you're just not going to get the same sort of exposure in graduate school versus undergrad like you know classes around campus the type of classes you're taking the amount of the 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 sheer volume of professors that you're going to interact with right is Mm -hmm. is much uh much smaller yeah nice and so um yeah. I would say, you know, San Francisco state was just really diverse. Um, mm. there was, I would say the, the undergrad population was older because there was a lot of people community commuted mm. in, um, mm. yeah, I mean, and it's just, you know, San Francisco is, is, uh, is a pretty liberal city, yeah. I would say. Right? Yeah. Um, and so you're going to get a lot of that attitude, um, versus I would say New Jersey's also still pretty liberal, but mm-hmm. you know, um, yeah princeton is uh I, I, I don't know i didn't i didn't interact um oh. guys we live
0: in la so this is emergency expected. alert <laughs> endangered elderly oh oh no <laughs> i hope he's fine so tell us about your research during your phd
2: the organocatalysis yeah oh yeah.
0: so that was also your research in phd not because i thought it was also part of your working experience or was that mainly your PhD? PhD research? Okay, uh-huh. got it, got it. Okay, in my head, I was thinking it's also part of your experience while working. So, okay, then what was? I your... mean,
2: people use it. Uh, you know, yeah. but I would say not as, um, not as much. Uh, now, right? It's mm-hmm. sort of lost a bit of popularity. Um, yeah. but I thought that it was, in my mind, it was the coolest. Uh, um, topic at the yeah. time, and so that's what I wanted to do.
0: For something that has no clue about it, what would, how would you, what's the easiest way to give them like a, a, a tangible example of how you would use this in our, like in our societies for what you worked for? To take
2: um, something simple, transform it into something complex um, with control, a control mm-hmm. in both the yield and also the predictability of the product. or so the outcome. Mm. Uh, sometimes you're combining two things, um, yeah. and sometimes you're doing um, a transformation on a molecule and just changing it. Um, but why, not are we, significant why are we
0: doing this in the first place?
2: To build. I mean, it's a lot of it is uh, the application is going to be for the pharmaceutical industry mm. uh, to be new new bond forming events, new bond formations. Okay, okay. And it, it allows you, it gives you more tools to be able to make the molecules yeah. that may, may be yeah. interesting and have some biological activity.
0: I've like, honestly, I've never heard of this until I met you. So that's why I'm, I want to try and understand. So it's mainly about like creating medicine, basically. Would you say? Potentially,
2: yes. Okay. I mean, there are other applications. Um, it is, it's, it's just new. It's a new form of, uh, of mm. synthesizing molecules. Okay. New way, I should say.
0: Yeah. So what technologies would you say are emerging that are revolutionizing that s- space of research you worked on? That one
2: is um a little different. Um, I would say I would change the um the question a little bit and and ask like, what are the emerging technologies now? Yeah. Right, what is trendy? And yeah, I would say photo redox catalysis is um really um you can't open a, a mm-hmm. chemistry journal without seeing this and what
0: makes it exciting like why Why? It... so
2: it harnesses um visible light so mm-hmm. it also uses a catalyst mm-hmm. oftentimes a metal catalyst all right mm-hmm. this uh which which you want to avoid but you can remove those downstream of the process but it harnesses vis- uh, visible light so it takes photons converts them well ultimately uh there's a uh, a redox process so um Uh, oxidation reduction Mm -hmm. um so usually a single electron it either pulls one out of Mm -hmm. the molecule and makes it reactive or it puts one in and makes it have um, a particular type of reactivity Mm -hmm. so i would say that's probably now the uh where a lot of the the uh the community is focused their efforts yeah Yeah.
0: and what would you say is the most tricky part about that specific speciality research? um that some
2: of the setups can be a little tricky uh you know optim the optimization Mm -hmm. um how where the where the light source is in comparison to the vessel Mm -hmm. so it has to be pretty close there's light doesn't um does it often penetrate all Mm -hmm. the way through and and if you also have uh some some solids in there that are um that are uh So if it's not a a solution, right, if it's a bit of a mixture, Mm -hmm. then your light's not going to get to where it needs to go. So I would say the setup in in those Mm -hmm. cases can be pretty tricky. And then that leads to um, potential uh, reproducibility
1: issues. (laughs) What are like some specific finicky pieces about... Um, like for example, some things degrade under light. What are are there any types of variables you have to control for, or like not having oxygen or? Yes,
2: uh, <laughs> oftentimes you have to degas um your solution because oxygen can interfere with these processes. Mm. Um, so that's again goes back to mm. the setup, right? Yeah. So you either you can sparge um an inert gas, so either nitrogen or argon, through bubble it through to expel the oxygen dissolved in the, in the media. um, or you can do this process called freeze pump saw. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, that, that can lead to, um, some variable results if you're not careful with the setup. And, you know, that goes, um, to, I I would say a a lot of chemistry as Mm -hmm. well, right? Um, we like to use this term roar and pour, which Mm -hmm. if, if a, if the setup is pretty easy and facile, okay. then, uh, and it's not so finicky, um, then you don't have to be as careful. And that's, that's part of, um, what I think attracted people and definitely attracted me to organocatalysis. Mm. So going back to the PhD work, um, you don't have to be as careful excluding <laughs> oxygen or even water from your reaction. So, um, it, it, you don't have to, uh, ensure an inert atmosphere environment oftentimes with um metal catalysts or metal catalysis um you you also have to um be careful with the setup and so and if you're not then that can uh, lead to Mm -hmm. a failed reaction
0: Yeah, we don't want to do that. We don't want to get into the failure reaction. So
2: usually you don't have to be so um for a lot of mm-hmm. the organocatalysis you don't have to be as careful with yeah. the setup. That's not always true. Mm-hmm. Um but generally it is true. Yeah. So you know, part of my uh PhD was a somo it's called somo catalysis and mm-hmm. you add this oxidant um and that also the the rate of stirring can affect mm-hmm. um the yield uh the efficiency of the reaction. Mm-hmm. Those can be again, a little, a little more finicky, right? So yeah. you do have to be careful with the setup.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, this is kind of an outside question, but I just had to ask you, do you feel in chemistry, because again, I'm learning from you, do you think you reach certain topics where it's just saturated and there's no more we can do in this topic? And do you feel mm-hmm. that way about what you worked on?
2: No, I think there's always something more you can do. You just, um, yeah. you know, you can get into... A situation of like diminishing returns, right? So, yeah. um, just because you can do more, you have to ask, uh, "What is is it worth it? Right? Mm-hmm. Um, what is how is this going to uh, change the way we think about synthesis? Um, is it going to provide us with um, a new technology that is uh, that is going to be widely applied?"
3: Um, mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, okay. What would you say was your hardest part about your PhD?
2: Uh, just sometimes it just gets, uh, it gets tough. It, like if you're experiencing a lot of failure, <laughs> uh, if things aren't yeah. working, right? That F uh, word, we don't want to get. <laughs> you know, a lot, there's this uh, pretty common situation of like third year burnout. Um, mm. And so.
0: Oh, absolutely. I, I totally feel that.
2: Um, yeah. The the work hours can be um, are pretty intense as mm-hmm. well. I think yeah. um, at least you know there was a there's a reputation in organic chemistry that it does require a lot of time actually at your hood, mm-hmm. you know, performing experiments, um, and so uh, you know that the requirement for for the sort of work hours I think is not uh, it's not for everyone. Mm.
0: Summarize your PhD experience in one sentence. I'll challenge you with that. Ooh,
3: um,
2: it was a journey of perseverance.
0: Ooh, I love that. So, all right. One advice, because many listeners we have are trying to get into the PhD program, thinking about their PhD. One advice you would give our listeners that are thinking about getting into the PhD
2: uh make sure that so i'll have two things that i think are pretty important for one make sure um that it's something the the field that you want to do your phd in make sure it's something um that you are truly interested in so i would mm-hmm. try to get as much experience either in industry if you can do an internship or if there's um a laboratory in your your undergraduate institution that you can join um to do research because the worst would be getting into a program, you know, and a year in determining that this is not for you, right? Mm, yeah, and so ha- actually engaging in um in activities and in particular research, um, prior to uh ju- going for applying to and ultimately. Um, accepting a position, uh, accepting the, an offer in graduate school. Make sure that it is what you really want to do. Yeah, right? yeah. And as far as getting in uh, work connections, so mm. um, you good. know, it, yeah. it, engaging in research might um, might put you or, or and, and your work um, sort of on on uh, your PI's radar, right? Mm-hmm. The PI that you want to work yeah. for. Um, you know, gives you it gives them at least a little bit of uh, foreknowledge, mm. so you're not just again, yeah, yeah, uh, a, another random graduate student. <laughs> yeah.
0: All right. So you got your PhD from Princeton. Amazing work with your PI, and as you mentioned, with PhD, you're getting through failures. I think, again, with my humble experience doing it myself right now, I think it's useful to understand from somebody that did it already. When did you realize that i'm ready and what we call between us like i call it the real world when did you <laughs> like some people joke about it and to me it feels correct like i'm entering the real world right now when did anthony feel ready that you know what i'm done i want to start working now because some people would say i want to keep going i want to do postdoc with you you finished your ph and you like moved on how was your experience with that
2: um yeah. So as far as uh, being ready to graduate, um, yeah. you know, <laughs> schools have requirements, right? And uh, and, let's, and let's, professors yeah, have their course. own requirements, Let, right? Take
0: that away. And I want to, I totally get you because you're right. There There's requirements and there's how your professor, if there's funding also, let's take all that influence. And I want to get into like the mental state of feeling ready as a PhD and as a researcher. When did you feel like, you know what, I'm actually ready now to work for companies? versus you see other people that are like no I need more more research postdoc that's my answer so that's what I want to tackle with you
2: i think um postdocs give you a different perspective obviously you know you you're you join a, a different lab and so you get exposure to um the the pi in diff- sort of different way that they approach mm-hmm. the problem yeah um yeah and, you know it's 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 a good question mm-hmm. i think it also yeah pertains to the job market, right? Mm. Um if it is a buyer's or seller's market, um some uh companies sort of prefer or even require postdoc. Yeah. Um and so it, you know, it depends on think how what the we'll call it what the inventory mm-hmm. <laughs> of of uh recent yeah, graduates a, yeah. is like,
0: oh, right? Geez. So you kind of are weighing what's happening around you based on like the circumstances or what you're looking for can i summarize it like that or
2: yeah um i think it, it also usually postdocs you get a a, a bit of a um, leadership opportunity as well mm-hmm. right um uh, and you can you can mentor others so mm-hmm. it might give you um you know it might give you uh i think it, that a different exposure and, and opportunity mm-hmm. to mentor, right? Yeah. Um, are you, yeah, you, you are going to, to learn other things as well. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but you have to ask yourself, is it, is, is it going to really change how I do things and is my, is it going to expand my knowledge mm-hmm. base? Right. Yeah. Or is it just, you know, exposure to some other research mm-hmm. topic?
0: interesting and you've worked in pharma which is like a a multi-billion industry so do you think that entering that like very demanding uh competitive industry your phd was enough for it or did you start learning everything again how was your experience with that transitioning from academia to the real world i think
2: yeah i felt uh again i felt ready um i also had done uh a masters prior to right so mm. that gave me another Two couple years another yeah. couple of years yeah. of experience right mm-hmm. so um it wasn't just the yeah. the 5 years of the phd yeah. it also had a couple other you know years doing research mm. as well and so
0: and you did research on your under, undergrad so that's also correct. really yeah
2: did research in undergraduate early yeah and then also um i did a, a industry internship as well mm-hmm. so back to mm-hmm. this ex, this um exposing yourself to uh, the, the type of, uh, science that you mm. think that you want to do, right. Get that exposure, uh, early and cause that'll help guide your decision, mm. um, and also help to solidify your choice, right. <laughs> you, yeah. That commitment yeah. to it.
0: Yeah.
1: So I want to kind of clear up one misinterpretation maybe. Um, I never took organic chemistry in school. Surprised. I don't know how they made me go through a molecular biology degree without ever doing it, but, um what actually makes organic chemistry organic because i think right now organic has a different uh term but i know that it's not necessary <laughs> <laughs> you're not working with like you know coconut oil or something right so <laughs> why is it called that
2: uh it's uh, mainly uh the the atoms in the molecules are possessed carbon
1: mm. okay so i mean that makes yes.
2: carbon um, carbon-based molecules
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. um so yeah um You've worked at a bunch of massive pharma companies. I mean, you worked at Gilead, you worked at Novartis. Now you're working at Gossamer, which is a bit smaller. Um, I think a lot of things are kind of under the hood. Um, and so I just wanted to know kind of what does a day in the life of a scientist look like at one of these industrial entities versus what it looks like in academia?
2: Well, your um, your responsibilities will change over time, mm-hmm. uh, right? So I think when you, uh, very early on, say, in your first couple of years, um, it's pretty similar as far as the um, the expectation of you performing work in the laboratory, right? So you're at your hood a lot, mm-hmm. uh, which is pretty similar um, to what you're going to, you know, how, how you ended graduate school, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, as you progress in your career, uh, and depending on how how you see your career? Uh, what what you ultimately want? Um, you're going to be given more management experience, right? Or more management opportunities, I should say, right? Mm-hmm. You're gonna uh, often you'll 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 get a direct report, um, you know. So you'll have, you'll truly have to manage somebody or be responsible for somebody reporting to you, right?
1: Mm -hmm. So there's just kind of more breadth in industry than, you know, you might just be relegated to being like a lab tech or something in an academic. And there's not really a there's a kind of ceiling to an extent.
2: Yeah. And and it is. It is your choice, right? Mm -hmm. Um, If you don't want this management responsibility, then Mm -hmm. you can, you know, you can refuse it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, I think most people um, you. I think most people kind of feel obligated, um, but there are definitely some that stay on a more scientific track mm-hmm. versus a managerial track. So yeah. that's that's an option, and oftentimes um, the titles uh, will change. Wow. Like when you get promoted, um, the pay scale will be the same, uh, but the the responsi or the um, what you are responsible for is going mm-hmm. to be different, right? Yeah. Mm. So, it's usually it's called the science track or the manning track
0: <laughs> and i also want to open a bracket at, like with that question before we move on have you ever thought about academia and does it work well if you work in the industry then transition to a, being a professor when i say academia
2: yeah did i ever think about being yeah. a professor yeah uh, for about five minutes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what don't you like about <laughs> yeah. being a professor?
2: It was not something that interested me. Um, I just was so um infatuated with the idea of making a medicine. Mm. Mm. Uh, yeah. I knew very early on, um, that I wanted to go into industry, mm. and you know it was not. It wasn't a question. It yeah. wasn't something that I had to, um, that, you know, kept me up at night. Oh, well, well how do I, what do I want to do mm-hmm. now, right? I knew mm-hmm. exactly what I wanted to yeah. do. Um, and I think that also helps um, your PI uh, and what they, what they not only do for you, how they interact with you. That's um,
0: I totally see that. Yeah, right. right. Because I actually, I was one of the unfortunates that didn't know what I want to do until now that now thankfully i do but i entered the phd thinking about the path that i would take after so i love that you actually like it's very how would you say you had that and and that like what made you know it's very is it like you had internships before your PhD? correct I yeah correct That's, that makes sense yeah.
2: yeah so it's back to this you know this, this is a common theme mm-hmm. right i keep saying this this that exposure to what you think you yeah. want to do right yeah. actual hands-on right mm-hmm. I, I immersed myself in it yeah um and you know had internships and then uh you know went into industry mm-hmm. and, I mean, and then went back to graduate yeah. school right
0: I think I just want to add one last thing on this I think what's important also is that because I'm not American I think in America what's very fortunate is that you have a lot of R&D uh, industries versus different countries like Kuwait for example we don't have a lot of R&D so the exposure you would see around right. you it's a, it's a very consumer based society so there's not a lot of research so the only path with PhD is usually being a professor, uh-huh. which is usually not even a research-based school. It's more of like teaching and you're lecturing and more of that. So I think that's where you see where if you're if you're from different societies, you also have a different perspective. Yeah, we research. do have
2: that luxury, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, and especially being in the Bay Area. Oh mm-hmm. yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> I mean yeah. that it's yeah. it is one of the um the hubs right mm-hmm. for yeah. for biotech and, yeah
1: that's kind, amazing kind so. of on that note have you seen the movie don't look up on netflix yes so um, um my i think one of the one of the interesting things is did you do you think that um kind of on the same vein do you think that being an american gave you the privilege or working in America even gave you the privilege of being acknowledged more than in other parts of the world. Like in Don't Look Up, you know, you have all these international scientists trying to stop everything, but the media only cares about what the American scientists are saying. Um, What are your thoughts on that? How could we improve? Or do you agree that that's a thing even?
0: You could say, I don't (laughs) see that. Yeah, I don't,
1: I mean, there's just,
2: if you look at the concentration of institutions in the US, right? Compared to other countries, there's just I think it's just a higher number doing research mm-hmm. in general, right? Mm-hmm. Like I don't know how many.
1: I mean, China has, but a, China lot, has but a lot. China has a lot. They're not correct. Like they're not considered. They're pumping out substantially more research papers and work here, but it's kind. It's kind of silent. You're, you're
2: seeing a lot of it though, right? Mm. Um, in do journals, they
0: get more. Do, are they highlighted as much as do you see the highlight goes with American research? or european would you and i would i I would say yeah
2: i would say there's definitely you're you're seeing a lot more um publications in definitely in chemistry journals from uh chinese research laboratories Mm -hmm. Uh, and i and i think it's there's it it's an establishment of a reputation Mm -hmm. um and you know that there's they're just not I think they're, they're up and coming as far as the, mm-hmm. the established reputation goes. Yeah. Um, and that it will definitely, you'll it'll continue to increase. Mm-hmm. And you're going to continue to see more publications from, you know, journals, I think, um, in, in other countries.
0: I guess to, I do want to also like emphasize on that part is that do you feel like the research in America is appreciate, appreciated more than other societies around the world? And and is it because what you said? You see, the rate of research and the amount of industry in research is more.
2: I don't know if it's appreciated more. But there's a prestige mm-hmm. associated with it. Um, we just, you know, and there's more funding mechanisms, mm-hmm. right? Okay. And so, um, that... do you think
0: that's a bad thing or a good thing? More money. don't think of it just like don't think of it just think of science the the thing is like i want i want to see how you think because i'm sure you have amazing like amazing ideas about it because to me i'm thinking about it just in the name of science ignoring the ignoring where who i belong to or who this country is for science itself do you think what's happening is a good thing or a bad thing that there's more weight on a certain part of the world than others
2: um i'm not I don't have a, a negative or opinion about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, ultimately it's innovation, right? And um, there's a lot of innovation that's happening um, in the States, but that is, like I said, you're seeing a paradigm shift, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that is, that is changing. I think there's uh, there are uh, other countries that, that are innovating, but it does come back to, um, funding, right? Yeah. What about, to, to do the research. What about mm-hmm.
0: politics? Do you think politics drive the the weights?
2: I think you it, can refuse to answer. I you think you can. If you don't want, I, right do <laughs> I, <laughs> I mean, that's that's a Pandora's box. I
0: think I think we yes. don't have to. Back get, to. I'm sorry. I'm like kind of <laughs> getting too in it with you, but I just love to. Like, I, I want to learn about this. Actually, well,
2: so. back to don't look up, right? Yeah. And I think also. Um, yes, politics does have an effect mm-hmm. on um, our perception of science, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we often forget uh, how much we rely on, on science in our everyday life, or I would say the fruits of the scientific labor. Mm.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I think the interesting thing about politics, and if you look at it from a historical perspective, is, right, you have – or had I mean you had the Soviet Union or China right now where there is this kind of they really prioritize their engineers and their scientists well the Soviet Union did um, and so that's kind of an interesting thing where as you breed this culture where people are excited about it the actual populace um, but in America right we have that kind of don't look up paradigm a little bit which mm-hmm. you know I feel like that affects it to some extent.
2: I was watching that movie and I'm like this could absolutely happen. Yeah. It is I mean <laughs> I did did it, I it did happen. Yeah. <laughs> not quite a not quite a asteroid, but yeah. <laughs> there was definitely uh uh there was um a lot of misbelief, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of misinformation yeah. spread um and again, uh politics can influence that. Um mm-hmm. you know, when you ask can it, does politics influence science? It, it does influence how the funding um mm-hmm. that we put towards um towards research, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whether it be government grants, I think we have the luxury because there's so much private industry in the States. Um, there's just more money to be dedicated to mm-hmm. research.
1: Yeah, I mean, the NIH is way, 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 way ahead of the second most funded research organization behind it. I think the NIH gets like 40 to $50 billion a year to dispense. And then the thing behind it is maybe two. What's
2: the NSF? Those are the two major. No, no, no. Yeah. I
1: mean, I mean, international. I think the next okay. one is in the UK. Oh, Canada, I see. Canada, right yeah. behind that. But
0: Would, would yeah. you
1: say that capitalism
0: is better for researchers versus like a more communist or socialist? Socialist. Sorry. I
2: well, um, I think the, the answer would probably have to be yes, because mm-hmm. um, of the,
1: of what we're seeing um, in the u.s Mm -hmm. yeah i mean i think yeah that's fair i think it might depend on how you how you sort of look at it i think from a socialist perspective i think it's more about increasing the bottom line of scientists that work in academia because they really take all the experimental risks that's why it's you know all taxpayer funded and i think trying to raise the bar a little on that but still having the um kind of capitalist incentives i think is good i think that Researchers in an academic sense should probably be paid a little bit more. <laughs> Let's be yeah. real. So uh... there's a lot of things I think that
2: <laughs> that probably need to be um, changed in 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 the academic um, approach that we that we use. Um, the so it's I think it also goes back to um, supply and demand, right? So mm-hmm. yeah, with so much private industry in the u.s there's a demand a higher demand for scientists Mm -hmm. than say in in some other countries that don't have that same concentration of industry right
0: absolutely great because i in kuwait there's only one research institute in an entire country so just think about the amount of there's like very limited demand if you want to compare it to other like research like china or america or like europe for example right and then
2: what are you going to do after right what where are you going to go to get a job and yeah. can you get a job uh and mm-hmm. can you get a job around where your family currently lives? Are you gonna have to relocate? Are you gonna have yeah. to relocate to a different country to do yeah. science that yeah. you wanna do? Right. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> I think um the next I mean, you were in industry. What personality traits do you think you had that got you to thrive in that environment versus traits that might make you succeed Ooh, more in academia? I like that question.
2: Yeah, I mean I'm biased because it's. I'm gonna describe my own personality traits, right? If you're like me,
1: you'll succeed, and if you're not, then I'm sorry, but it's not.
2: Um, I think what helped me out. um, So I'm. I'm pretty outgoing, uh, and that's Mm -hmm. not a trait common to. A, A lot of scientists, or at yeah. least the one that, that society doesn't associate with scientists, right? This is
0: why we're happy to have you here. Actually. That's <laughs> one of the reasons why we're excited to have you here, actually. So you're absolutely right.
2: <laughs> and so I think, um, you know, really establishing relationships and connections to people... Um, when in, in industry mm-hmm. when i first got into this the site right yeah i came onto this site um i would go, i would go around and talk to people like you know walk by their office say hi mm-hmm. um and then that uh le- leads to serendipitous discussions right mm. i think if we you...
0: definitely need people like you anthony i'm not it sounds very cliche but because in science if you you have that the moment i met you and it was over dinner for the listeners because you know you have that attraction that you know how to make people listen to you and i feel like not a lot of scientists have that and we need more of that because it's crucial we saw the movie it's a great example if you don't have that personality how are you going to show them what complex things you've worked on and and make them learn you see so mm-hmm. i yeah I, i'm like i don't know i'm passionate about talking about how scientists should improve their communication and you have it so it's very oh, i appreciate it <laughs> <laughs> i just had to mention it yeah
2: i think okay. also um what another we'll call personality trait um that has led to success is mm-hmm. um is perseverance yeah and back to this realization that uh that a lot of what you are going to do is mm-hmm. going to fail yeah yeah and um you if if that I think that can bother people, right? Mm-hmm. And if you, you, it can get, it can bother you so much, it gets you to a point that yeah. you no longer want to try. Yeah. And so you have to be able to put it behind you mm-hmm. uh, and move on, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. If if it continues to affect you emotionally, um, that can have a pretty negative impact on your motivation. Mm. Yeah. So you gotta have a, sh- you know, y- you want to learn from, we'll call them your mistakes. Yeah. But you kind of have to have a short memory. Yeah. Um, when it comes to uh, wanting to try something new, right? Mm-hmm. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. No, no, no I totally get you. Yeah. yeah. So, how
1: that? do you yeah. think we could make scientists more appealing in our society? Mm. Um, what do you think? Like in terms of PR, <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> what do you think would make them cooler? I mean, yeah. For me, it was kind of like as I read encyclopedias, I was like so fascinated by it. But I think sci find. <laughs> in different ways. What do you think would be one thing you could do to make them more... Um...
3: Like,
2: approachable?
1: Yeah, approachable.
2: Mm-hmm. I think just reminding people that um, we utilize and rely on um, discoveries uh, from that resulted from science mm. every day, right? Yeah. I mean, this microphone. iPhone. The laptop, mm-hmm. right? Laptop. The iPhone, yeah. right? I, it's so funny when people you know, use their phone to post on social media criticizing science. <laughs> yeah,
0: oh that's what, yeah, I totally get it. It's like you, wouldn't
2: that, be, you wouldn't have the ability yeah, to do that yeah. if it wasn't for science, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, you get in your car, right? Yeah. I mean, everything, you look around, right? Yeah. And unless you sort of live off the land and, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you remove yourself from society in, yeah. in any sort of daily life, there's so much um, science that we rely mm. on, right?
1: I mean, when do you think that science is debatable and when do you think, or or should it even ever be taken as gospel or when is it taken as gospel?
2: I think um, it's taken as gospel when it's re- very, very highly reproducible, mm. right? Um When you do this, when you get the same result often, almost 100% we'll say 100% of the time but right nothing's ever 100% but when you consistently get the same result mm-hmm. um that is that's that's verified right yeah um
1: so repeatability is your measure, like reproducibility, reproducibility. Yeah. yeah yes okay um what do you think uh in terms of publications right now what are your thoughts on kind of the positive bias that's really prevalent in the scientific world i mean you're talking about how right? You failed hundreds of times probably before you get something yet, you know, papers are kind of incentivized to publish like lots of positive things mm-hmm. almost to a fault, like almost that you're engineering the result in advance. Um, what What do you think about that? How do you think we could change it or?
2: Yeah, uh, we always joke around, it? right? Um, this needs to we need to publish in the Journal of Failed Reactions, you know, <laughs> there's there's definitely it's the the currency the value um f- for communication of failed experiments of of results that ultimately would be deemed as failure um mm-hmm. is is not even not even close to again, you know, communicating results that are that are positive. Right.
1: Yeah. Because then people will just keep doing like, let's say they're coming on something tangential and then they're trying all the things that you failed, but you haven't documented publicly the things you failed at. So they'll just do that for the next year and then the next person and the next one. Right. I Um, think
2: it's these are they're just not communicated unless you say you read somebody's thesis. Right. Um, Or like
1: in your lab, someone's like, oh, don't do that. It's. Uh, I tried it. It doesn't work. <laughs> yeah,
2: but then, right, um, you're, you're, you're going to encounter those that um, would say, well, maybe it just, maybe if I do it, it might work. In your hands. Or may, maybe, you know? maybe the researchers um, didn't have proper technique. Uh, maybe they omitted something. Maybe they didn't set the reaction up rigorously right with under the stringent conditions that would be required to actually get the result that um that they intended to right so you're always gonna you're gonna have that um i think that aspect of uh of question right did did the researchers (laughs) actually do do it properly yeah i mean if you're Um, gonna
1: if you're gonna write positively biased papers at least have method sections that are reproducible or supplement mm-hmm. them with that <laughs> otherwise it doesn't make sense so um
2: you can usually um you know in so in patents right <clears throat> uh, patents are often um well you know the, in order to get to say you know uh, a, a molecule that has biological activity right mm-hmm. you use the, the the methods of synthesis in order to construct these molecules Mm -hmm. um and you can get an idea of how well a set of reactions that are common in our that we use in our repertoire that are common in our toolbox how well they're going to work on those substrates Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. and those you can usually if the yields are very low you know that um that it might not work for what you're trying to do <laughs> mm. or or it will yeah. work but don't expect um don't expect very uh a very efficient transformation
1: yeah. yeah so i mean now you're a you're a director at gossamer bio what what does the company work on and what do you work on at the company as a like in a position of leadership
2: i work on an immunology program mm-hmm. um the company is focused on sort of immunology uh and and oncology at the moment <clears throat> um so i'm working on a a novel target and i think it has the potential to to have a pretty significant impact on on human health mm. so
1: so what's the biggest difference between drug design and drug development
2: <laughs> i think development encompasses a lot of other um sort of uh, parts of the process right mm-hmm. so making so that what a chemist does to make the drug to optimize its properties biological properties or or even their we'll call physical chemical properties right um, that's one part so that's the design mm-hmm. the development involves a lot of other departments right mm. a lot of other line functions yeah that they, they all have to work together right Um, you have to have biology um, ultimately you go into cmc process mm-hmm. chemistry there's a there's a clinical portion to the organization right yeah. and and that whole i think you know when the handoffs happen mm-hmm. that's what i can think of the development drug mm-hmm. development right taking yeah, it all yeah. the way either into the clinic or up to registration mm. um,
0: it's interesting because I'm i'm into construction so and that was the experience i worked in would you compare if you want to compare them like with design versus construction like with buildings you design everything on floor plans and then once this is complete you actually construct it you create is that relatable yeah it is so
2: it's uh i used to make this joke so um chemists or especially organic chemists you can Mm -hmm. think of them as molecular architects
0: oh i was actually i was just Mm -hmm. i was thinking of the word architect, but yeah right (laughs) so you
2: design something on on paper right so um you use uh, a s- series of reactions usually um you you can also design new transformations right mm-hmm. but we'll just say let let's right now let's talk about the application of mm-hmm. existing transformations yeah. and how you're going to use them to build the molecule that you want right mm-hmm. so you design something on paper yeah. um and you have a, a set of um of bond formations that will ultimately get you to the the desired target your final product Mm. um and so then you have to go actually execute and do it in the laboratory yeah um and so that's the construction part right Mm. so you go from the design which is the on paper i guess you're you know similar to architecture your drafts right you you draft your uh floor plans your floor plans and then um the the construction part is where you go into the laboratory
0: and and actually contractors and they actually start building it yeah
1: I mean, I mm. think molecular architect is a much sexier term than chemist, or so oh, I love oh, yeah chemist oh, yeah I love that that's a rebranding so, yeah. <laughs> um, what are you excited about the most um at gossamer like where do you and where do you envision it going? Where do you even envision yourself?
2: Well again, I'm biased. I think um the project that I'm working on is um is is right is one of the most exciting projects that we have at the company, and so um yeah, it's it's a novel mechanism. So mm-hmm. it's a new target. Um and that's, you know, that's I think as a as a scientist, um it's exciting, right? Mm-hmm. And if you are able to achieve the desired outcome by inhibiting this target, that can be very fulfilling. Mm. And and there's that, that's from a a personal standpoint, but then there's also the impact on human health, right? Mm-hmm. Um it, ultimately we do want to we do want to positively impact human health. And, um, you know, yeah. this is, so this is, it's an oncology play. And, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, there's, we're never going to, there, are, there will always be, I think, cancers around, mm-hmm. um, you know, and there's not just one type, right? So when people say cure cancer,
1: there's, mm. you know, what, 50 some
2: odd types, probably even
1: more. Um. Yeah. So, I mean, you've worked at, the larger companies now you're kind of at a more mid-sized one what do you think are the advantages or preferences of working at either like novartis is huge versus gossamers I, uh, is it like a few, hun- hundred? few hundred? just people?
2: under 200 yeah i think we're about 170 mm-hmm. maybe 175
1: almost still like a startup and I'm, I'm it very much quotes. is
0: because we were discussing that with like me and him when we were looking at it is that is this considered a startup or mid sized definitely not a large company
2: i would still consider it a startup right it depends on how you um what your definition of that is but currently uh we don't have anything on the market and we're not profitable Mm, so startup (laughs) that's a startup startup with tens of
1: millions of dollars
3: (laughs) yeah (laughs) Yeah. uh hundreds hundreds okay i think
2: market cap is like 775 million that's incredible right yeah Um, that's the next tier. (laughs) but um the so the i think the urgency um Mm. and the timelines uh are very aggressive um because you you only have a certain amount of um of runtime right Mm -hmm. so until you're until you burn through all of your cash (laughs) yikes (laughs) and so um you have to either produce something valuable that that can be either acquired Mm -hmm. or that you can ultimately put onto the market to make yourself profitable
1: Yeah. So you've had, I mean, in this type of role, there's a lot of responsibility and with timelines, et cetera. Um, What's it like being a leader or a mentor? And what do you think makes one good at those things? What makes you a stellar mentor or leader in these
2: environments? For mentor, um, so, you know, often this term coaching comes up um, and, you know, it can sound on the surface kind of condescending right like Mm. you're coaching me you know go 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 synthesize (laughs) telling me what to do um but the most efficient coaching is just asking um somebody that say you're mentoring the right questions to allow them to come to their own conclusions right Mm -hmm. because you're gonna have in your head, um, so the, the difference between you know coaching versus giving advice right mm-hmm. um I think a lot of people uh want to give advice right and and communicate what they think is the right way to do it mm-hmm. um, but they that is based on their previous experiences right yeah. um, and their their own biases come into play yeah mm-hmm. um, I think it, when you're coaching um you you don't you try to avoid offering an opinion mm. um, you just ask questions and you might you might think you, you, you might have encountered this before and you know exactly what to do um, to uh, you know to help this person get over this problem mm. or to address something right um, but I think it's more powerful if they come to the conclusion on their own
1: mm. oh yeah that's my that. that's my yeah. biggest pet peeve it's like when someone's trying to outsource their the thinking part to me even if I know the answer it's like, no, 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 you have to get to it yourself. Yeah. And I can kind of, you know, move it a little. But if someone's just, oh, I don't know. And they're like throwing the thinking on me. I'm like, Mm-mm, not <laughs> going to work. <laughs>
2: and I think also, um, so being a leader, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so not every, your whole team, your, your whole team doesn't report to you, right? Mm-hmm. You have a certain amount of direct reports. So you have to figure out how to both manage up and manage laterally wow. right That's and tough. so yeah. how do you influence people um in order to achieve the goal and in, mm. in the most efficient or the fastest possible manner right mm. and so i think being um aware being emotionally intelligent and then yeah. recognizing the 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 different preferences that mm-hmm. each each of your say group members has right the people that you're interacting with identifying um their 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 preferred mode of interaction respecting that Mm -hmm. um and uh ultimately you know aligning them to the common goal
0: yeah how did you learn all about that managing managing aspects of your career was it like more of experience or did you read about it take courses? Yeah
2: so um Novartis has they uh they um provide this uh sort of training uh it's called M1. It's Mm. called managing (laughs) managing from the front line. (laughs) Yeah right um that's one of them actually yeah it's and so it's like a week long Mm-hmm. um kind of like a offsite. you go to we, we went to this um this sort of hotel mm-hmm. um like ballroom area yeah. um and you dedicate so there's some some prep work leading up to it mm-hmm. and then you're there and you're going through um these exercises and you know truly you're you're um you're getting direct experience implementing these sort of strategies Mm -hmm. i thought that was pretty powerful yeah because you learn all this right uh and then also you come away from it with this book that has references and so Mm -hmm. i think it behooves you to review right that (laughs) material um uh, you know from time to time because you it all makes sense and you're like yeah yeah you know Mm -hmm. at the time when you come away from it but um people often forget Mm. and i think it's yeah. beneficial to to go back and review after yeah. the fact.
0: Yeah. All right. So we got we learned about your amazing education, we learned about your fascinating career. I'm going to shock you that but i want to take you back in time a bit. I want to get to Anthony's roots. Okay. <laughs> where, where did you grow up? Tell us about that aspect of your life. Like where how where were you? Where are you from?
2: I grew up in the Central Valley. So, mm. um, i was born in a town called Hanford. Uh, you're out of it, <laughs> right? So it's about thirty miles south of Fresno. Should I go visit? You uh, advise me to, or I mean, it's, it's it's sort of the agricultural, you know. That's uh, nice. Uh, so the Central Valley is yeah. um, really the where a lot of the agriculture in California mm-hmm. takes place. Yeah. So yeah. lots of fields, lots of orchards, um, <laughs> lots of uh, lots of table grapes, a lot of grapevines. Mm-hmm. Um So I grew up there, and then uh, just. Developed this affinity for San Francisco. Oh, um, I, I knew that I needed to be in the Bay. Yeah, and uh, it's it. There was a synergy between what I wanted to do, which is go into biotech, or I thought I wanted to go into biotech, right? and yeah. ultimately I did. Yeah. Um, and and being in, in the Bay Area, right, mm-hmm. having access to um, potential industries that I could do internship yeah. in, right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I was grew up there i got interested in science at mm-hmm. a pretty early age yeah
0: so any i love that you mentioned that because it's going to pivot me to that question anything from your childhood that you think reflects on to who you are today as a scientist 100 percent. so oh, wow.
2: um <laughs> my father was uh just completely impressed with uh chemistry right mm. he said he it was, it's the basic science right it's the building blocks of life mm. and so if you uh, understand chemistry you understand a lot of what what happens in the world right yeah. you can you know explanation for a lot mm-hmm. of these things yeah and so um when i was very young uh mm-hmm. he, i think i was five years old he um he made me memorize avogadro's number
0: oh wow yeah. <laughs> and he would tell... very specific like out of everything in chemistry yeah he was yeah. just
2: infatuated with chemistry yeah. um even though he was not a chemist himself um but and he would uh, ask me uh to recite this mm. to his friends mm. uh wow. to family members yeah, yeah. um and he just he he wanted a chemist in the family and i was <laughs> like i'm not gonna be that i was more interested in biology early on to be oh, honest wow. Interesting. um and then i uh had this i chemistry in high school. Mm-hmm. Uh it was like back then it was like college prep, right? Yeah. Uh and that's where I mm-hmm. knew I wanted to do chemistry. So, uh, it was kind of on the fence between biology and chemistry, right? What what I would mm-hmm. I think I would have have enjoyed biology as well. Yeah. Um and I and in college I kind of settled I kind of made this halfway, right? Mm-hmm. And so yeah. my uh, undergraduate degree is in biochemistry.
0: Yeah. <laughs> that makes, oh, that yeah, totally makes sense.
2: Which is a lot less biology than it sounds. <laughs>
0: oh, really? So, would you say that your dad <laughs> is your role model? Because that was my second question. Who was your role models and why?
2: I would say he was definitely a major influence. Mm-hmm. Um, he had great work work ethic, um, and it was just again, it, uh, he was very outgoing, um, and so I yeah, got right. a lot of my personality traits uh, mm-hmm. from him. Um, and you know, throughout. I think your role models sort of changed throughout, um, you know, your your journey, right? Mm. Your experience. Um, yeah. In high school, uh, my chemistry uh, teacher—he uh, was actually a biologist, and he mm-hmm. was teaching mm-hmm. chemistry. Yeah, um, Mr. Coxey. Uh, mm-hmm. And I shout thought, out. <laughs> <laughs> I thought he was—he just had a really um, uh, fun personality. He mm-hmm. would, you know, make he would cut on himself he would make jokes about himself um how he's a biologist he's teaching chemistry Mm -hmm. uh and he just he was very approachable Mm -hmm. um and you could ask him anything and i think he he really uh, made time for you and i appreciated that then in undergrad um, my academic advisor happened to also be um my chem my organic chemistry teacher and uh mr berkman cliff mm. berkman and um he was i would say my role model in in undergrad i mean just a really um awesome guy um i loved mm-hmm. his class and yeah. he did a lot for me as well uh as far as um you know academic advice and he even um kind of hooked me up with uh with my first internship
0: mm-hmm. mm. What about anything that you did apart from science growing up that you think actually is helping you right now in, as a scientist?
2: I was We were always very um, curious and inquisitive. And so my stepbrother and I used mm-hmm. to take stuff apart. And, um, you know, we had these little motors and we would sort of build little things mm-hmm. with motors like, you, you know, little cars or like um, put him on a door and like, you know, we had this like automatic <laughs> door opener, yeah. um, that we kind of constructed ourselves. Um, he, you know, we just, we would like melt lead down and, mm. you know, kind of manipulate, um, uh, physical things. Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: So that kind of, you think is what also drives your interest in science?
2: I think having that, um, that sort of curiosity. Yeah. Um,
0: that's the word. Is yeah.
2: is is was very helpful. Yeah, um, and yeah. you know, it's I think important to to any any scientist, right? Yeah,
0: yeah. Ah, uh, Anthony, we can talk to you for a long, a long, but unfortunately, we are reaching our end. And w- with our ending, we like to uh, end with our ending question. So hear us out. What we do is we usually say that we start by asking you, "Have you ever played Sims
1: or Sim, or City. Sim City?" I have City not. Building. Meh. So, but I
2: know what it is uh, I think I built something it was like that yeah. was it was on original Nintendo right
0: I think it's I mean Maybe. I played it on a PC on, on my PC, PC that's when I But uh, depending on your generation I don't think it or civilization different... yeah I played that <laughs> it, it, the idea is that you're building either like with some people with Sims you're either building a house or a city mm-hmm. you're creating it by yourself so and the reason we start by that because we're gonna make you imagine that you're given a key and free like a free choice to basically have a well-funded and reputable institution. It's filled with scientists, fresh graduates, postdocs, you name it. Money's no object for Anthony here. Okay? And you can hire whoever you want. How do you picture your utopic institution, scientific institution? Uh, so Taint it for us. Like, describe it.
2: So you try to, I mean, and this is going to be a matter of opinion, right? You try mm-hmm. to um, to hire those that you think are um, tackling some of the major problems that we have in the world right mm-hmm. um and it's that opinion is going to change depending on who you ask for or who who you ask mm-hmm. um, I would say obviously uh so does it, we're not limited by funding right yeah no no okay.
0: money's no object for you, okay, so
2: uh remove a lot of the uh administrative responsibilities that p i s have that's, that's one of the that is one of the yeah. The most challenging, um, uh, I think, time balance mm-hmm. uh, issues that I hear constantly mm-hmm. yeah. as a theme from PIs. Right, yeah. the farther you get into your career, the more administrative work you have to do, and you you actually kind of, you know, like it, it impact it, it impacts mm-hmm. the amount of time you can dedicate to thinking and doing thinking about and doing mm-hmm. science. Yeah, um, and so you know, not having I think not having to answer also to Uh, um, funding institutions, right? Mm. So, like, um, I think there is there. Have say, for instance, NIH, right? You have to, um, you have to, you have to submit uh, updates, um, on the progress that they, you know, the grant that they gave you money for the problem that you're trying to solve. You have to submit updates, right? And so, I think, um, there's less. Basic science uh, that gets done um, mm. versus it's it's kind of geared, it's directed, right? There's more of an application to yeah. it, and I think um, that influences the the uh, the type of issues that mm-hmm. researchers ultimately engage in.
1: Yeah. So do you do you think perhaps that labs themselves or PIs should have? I guess you could call it like a UBI. Like here's whatever four hundred grand that you just get per year. You can hire your team with that, and that will always be substantiated for any of the basic work you have. And if you want supplements for, you know, more exploratory stuff, then you can get that. But that you can operate like without worrying about what happens next year and the year after that. Yeah. Um... Socialism <laughs> a little bit.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think... uh the funding situation can be, become very stressful for PIs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, having to garner more funds, having to submit applications, having to sort of determine how they're going to pay their um, graduate students, how much money they have for research, for supplies. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, having, I, un, I guess, unrestricted access or a particular budget that you know is going to be consistent, right, from mm-hmm. year to year to year, mm-hmm. uh, would be would remove a lot of the um, the, the act the other stressful activities that take away from from doing the science. Yeah,
1: it's know? like compete to get the position, but not once you're in it. When you're in it, it's kind of like tenure or something, but mm-hmm. that you get paid. You know that this is this will be your baseline forever, and if you want to you know, you can just operate under that.
2: And maybe make it um, you know, so there's a there's a question about um tenure, right? Mm. And do you once you get tenure, you don't have you it's it's a it's essentially a lifetime appointment, right? Yeah. Um and does that does that then um do do some people lose motivation because mm. they don't have to sort of prove themselves right yeah. um and That's so interesting
0: so would you promote that concept or yeah
2: i mean can you know this is the debate right so how do yeah. you um how do you uh find how do you strike the right balance right mm. and so would you sort of make them you know go back up to for sort of renewal after a certain amount of time mm-hmm. right just to ensure that you um are staying competitive say with you know other institutions yeah. um and also that you are um that you're engaging in um in in research
0: that um that is important right mm-hmm. yeah interesting all right so we are reaching our end but one last thing from you that we actually never even showed you so it's going to be a game so we're playing one game with you the one game sorry that's what it's called and, uh, the rules are you're allowed one pass or throw back another question, either on me or guy. So these are the two rules that, like, uh, for the game. And, uh, basically question one would be, what is the one thing you hate the most about being a scientist?
3: Mm, I guess, well. If it I wouldn't say I hate
2: it um mm. but you know the 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 failure can be frustrating mm. <laughs> and um and I would say it's also frustrating to have this um to have this perception that uh that we currently have um in a lot of our our dialogue right that mm. um that you you're not sort of i guess you know respected if uh in in sort of everyday life right yeah Mm. um does that make sense
0: yeah yeah i see so to some respect me (laughs) i see (laughs) the one thing that you fear the most in science
2: That we um that we underutilize it <laughs> 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 or that we cause our own demise. Yeah. We exactly. we overutilize it and cause our own demise. Mm-hmm. Most <laughs> likely scenario. Underutilize it to solve um, you know, major problems in the world and then overutilize it and results in our own demise. <laughs> mm,
0: interesting. What's the one uh, who's the one person in history dead or alive you want to have dinner with and why?
2: Uh Neil deGrasse Tyson. I don't know him. He's an Tyson. astrophysicist. Oh.
0: That's, and why? I yeah. just
2: um I the way he um discusses and and contextualizes hit not only his research um but science in general. Mm-hmm. I I just I can listen to him like all day. Oh wow. All right. Um, and you know he he made a a quote famous i don't know if he was the first one to say this, um mm-hmm. but he definitely um has has said it a number of times, and it always stuck with me, right yeah, science is true, no matter if you believe it or not mm,
1: <laughs> I like that yeah yeah right so it's sense. it's
2: it's it shouldn't be about a belief, yeah, right yeah, because it can be verified,
0: yeah what is the one pet peeve you have? And we're not talking about animals. No, no, I'm kidding. That's for me, actually, because I, I thought that was actually about animals, but <laughs> um, <laughs> unrelated.
2: The Well, I guess that certain people <laughs> that you've worked with over time, and this is, you know, spanning in mm. all of the positions that I had that that don't have um, the same sort of dedication to the problem that you do.
0: Oh, mm. like, yeah. <laughs> What's the one personality trait you wish you had?
3: Um, I think probably being a better listener. Yeah, <laughs> yeah
0: that's a beautiful one.
2: I think um, scientists, well, it, it, that's generalization, but people mm-hmm. um, want to. Uh, they're afraid of of silence for one mm-hmm. right and so they want to fill the air with yeah. sound right yeah. and so they're often um thinking about say their next question or their response mm-hmm. um to the person they're having a conversation with but they're not actually listening to mm-hmm. what the person yeah. is saying as yeah.
1: as well as they should yeah, yeah it's, it's just, like uh, there's the expression fools talk cowards are silent wise men listen yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs>
0: What's your one most common white light?
2: I think this goes for a lot of people, right? Um <laughs> their ETA.
0: <laughs> we wouldn't really think um,
1: I'll that. be there soon. <laughs> <laughs> or, yeah,
2: or say, you know. I'm 10 minutes away when, in yes. actuality, you're like Andy 20, 25. <laughs> <to> this episode.
0: <laughs> but we're just lucky to have you. We don't care. What's the one most common compliment you get?
3: Um, that I look younger than I actually <laughs> am. Very
2: handsome, <laughs> <so. laughs>
0: <Very> handsome <laughs> fellow, guys.
1: Good jeans. <laughs>
0: Thanks. Thanks Dad. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What's the most influential movie you've seen or book you've read? Um, influential
2: book. Um I think Well, I think I would say it's more um eye-opening. Uh mm-hmm. it's this book called How We Got to Now. Um 6 Innovations That Shaped the Modern World. Mm. Uh, and it just makes you think about um, things that we take for granted um, yeah, really. that took a long time to come to fruition. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the way that that they ultimately happen was non-obvious. Mm-hmm. Nice. And so that, th- after having read that, um, a lot of that just kind of stuck with me, right? You did? Yeah.
0: Yeah. What trait about yourself you wish everyone else had? <laughs> the looks? <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, I would say, um, just yeah, being. Oh, well, I mean, then then it then it limits diversity, right?
0: Um, but so, like something that you like, uh, I I'm lucky that I think I I have this. Either like it's a soft skill, something about you, and why why I want to see more of it around the world. Like it could be compassion could be like i would say
2: just um being like outgoing and and not afraid to sort of mm -hmm. talk to anybody right extroversion
1: yeah extroversion i love love
0: your answer as well as much as i was wanting to get something out of you but yeah you're right when you wish you want diversity as well and i love that answer as well i'll take that one too because when you want because you some people love the difference as well so
2: yeah if everybody was just like you it would be boring I actually,
0: as much as we like (laughs) i wrote that question but i'm like i like your answer too I mean, we right. were talking
1: about mm-hmm. this before, and I was like, humor. If oh everyone had a sense of humor, <laughs> but be then great. I was telling him it might be boring. Don't you think? If everybody's funny, yeah. no, not funny really? has a
2: well, sense. Well, then Then what's the baseline? If everybody's funny, right? <laughs> I
1: was saying that actually. I was, but guy was like, nope, it will be funny. You can after. have you can have a sense of humor, but not be a funny person. Mm
0: how that kind of makes you funny well it's so
1: like it. you can like you can have a nice palate for food but you don't know how to cook um, right you <laughs> could, yeah, you, yeah. Could, you yeah. could laugh at a, a lot of stuff makes you
2: laugh but you can't you don't necessarily yeah. have the ability to make others laugh right? yes. true, true. <laughs> that's, oh,
1: like, w- that's like that's yeah. like wit or comedy but i'm <laughs> yeah. just saying that it's the it's the ability to perceive funny things noted what minor superpower would you ha- love to have Minor superpower. Huh? Like being able to find keys whenever you lose them or something. Um uh, telepathy. That's not a minor one. <laughs> <laughs> what is that? What was it? Telepathic.
0: Oh wow.
2: no that's a yeah, you gotta a go major, lower. Telepathic. That's a major power.
1: <laughs> I'm t- I'm talking about like finding your keys or making sandwiches appear instantly. <laughs> you
3: know? Um
2: okay, all right. This is mm-hmm. I-, I am absolutely envious of people that have the ability to sleep on command. Oh, wow. To just, yeah. like, just take go, a nap. Yeah, narcolepsy? Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Not, nar- not
0: narcolepsy. Oh, um, well, that's a good one, actually, yeah. I just, I yeah. have, it's
2: very difficult mm-hmm. for me to, like, take a nap, even if I'm yeah. tired, yeah. right, and I lay down. Um, I Some just...
0: people have it, but, yeah, you're right, there's a spectrum to it. Some people, mm-hmm. are, like, are very bad at getting into it, and some people, like, immediately. So, right. Yeah, no, yeah, you're right, that's a good one. All right, so we're ending this ending game, actually, with the one, I, I promise you we're ending this, <laughs> but the one word where you, where you, we're going to say a word and you have to say one word that makes you, that you, that you association think association, yeah, the association game, basically. Why do I always forget to say that? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> association game. So we say a word and you have to say one word after. Okay. So we'll, okay. Start, we'll start with pharma and it has to be quick. Pharma um
2: animosity
0: (laughs) virus ubiquitous california Money. money steak dinner mozart composer pipette pipette Pasteur. <laughs> Love. Love. I should say it like that. <laughs> Eight. Ooh. Acid. Base. <laughs> oh, mirror.
2: Vanity. Seaweed. Straws. Stras!
0: <laughs> we were intentionally putting it for that. Yeah. Anthony, Send thank you up, so huh? much for being here. You showed up. We learned a lot. The Fancy Lap Code Guild is lucky to have you. Yeah, thank you so much. Appreciate you it
1: very much. Now we're gonna go eat. Thank yep. you, gents. <laughs> <Yummy>. <laughs>